Welcome to Casual Watch Talk, the podcast from the Casual Watch Reviewer YouTube channel. Join us as we talk everything watches from watch collecting, the latest horology news and interviews. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Let's dive into the show. Welcome back to episode 18 of Casual Watch Talk. You're joined by Sam from the Casual Watch Review YouTube channel and Chris from Everyday Mastery. How, how have you been, Chris? As well as can be. Yes, we are still in our stay-at-home orders currently, which we'll talk about in a bit. But as always, we love to kick these shows off with what watch have you been wearing this week, Chris? Um, combination. I... Had my uh, Zen 103 chronograph on, but uh, today I'm back to uh, back to my comfortable everyday uh, Bell and Ross. So Bell and Ross V V293 GMT, my favorite. With all of this time working from home, I've been obsessing about a lot of watches. I don't know whether that's a good thing or whether it's a welcome distraction, but have you been obsessing about a watch this week? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I don't think anything particular. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, for those for those of you listening at home, um, the uh, the crisis uh, is real. Where you open eBay or you open Joma Shop or you open you know some some watch website, and then you really consider you're like, yeah, I could I could see myself wearing that. And then you look at the price tag, and then everything that's going on, and then you have to close the tab. So I've been using it as a nice distraction to check out what's on eBay, check out what's on for sale. But uh, yeah, I get uh, get a little too real when you uh, when you see the price or you think about buying. So weird that you say that because I've been doing the same thing. I even have gone so far as to add a watch to my shopping cart because a lot of the watch brands are offering discounts at the moment. So I've been adding the watch to my shopping cart and then oh well that that could work that discount. <laughs> but then again, I'm thinking exactly. Certainly, if there's going to be some kind of economic instability, should I just wait it out for a while? But it, I think it is a welcome distraction. I think I'm moving towards, uh, so I've been watching a lot of, uh, I, I think everybody's been watching a lot of YouTube. So just kind of taking a look at st brands and things that I may not have seen before. Kind of, uh, I've, been, I've been looking at more of the uh, new sort of vintage dive watches that are out and kind of went on a, a tail there where I look through a bunch of those and kind of see what's new because I've got the time to do it. Um, but I yeah, definitely same. I'm in the same boat. You know, yeah, I, I think about purchasing it or maybe like you said, put it in the cart and then you got to take a, got to take a second to say, okay, well maybe this is the, uh, maybe this is the winter, winter of 2020 decision and not the uh, summer of 2020 decision. Well, I've been wearing mainly my little citizen, my Japan domestic model citizen i really love it i love it a lot more than i thought i would i've been getting mm -hmm. a real appreciation for quartz at the moment and i don't know whether it's because it took us so long to regulate that seiko turtle i, I still love mechanical watches but i think at the sub 500 dollar mark especially with seiko i'd say I, I don't know i've become a bit more of an accuracy snob that's probably my fault but I'll take I'll take responsibility for that. I'm definitely M. Um, the thing that saves me is I have a I have a watch winder, uh, just a single watch winder. I'm not I'm not going to go crazy and get 
80 of them, but I, it definitely takes the place of that grab and go. So because I always have sort of the next watch that I'm going to wear on the winder, um, it takes that sort of anxiety away of having to, you know, just be able to pick something out of the watch box. Um, cause I've already sort of made that decision like, okay, well I can go to this next one. Uh, but I definitely appreciate and have grabbed the, um, you know, I've got a, a beater Casio and, uh, and my G-Shock and definitely when you have to run out the, ha- run out of the house and it's just, just, you just, you just know everything's, you know, you've got it, grab and go. Um, the appreciation for it just set and running is 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 high. I would totally agree with you there. I've been just enjoying picking up this Citizen watch, and it's very well made. I think they've done an excellent job of it. It was pricey for a quartz watch, but they've done an excellent job of it. That's what I've been mainly wearing this week is that Citizen. I've also been wearing off and on my Tudor uh, Black Bay 58, and my watch obsession has been the Yemmer Superman. They've released a oh. they've released a French Air Force version, which kind of like the look of, um, except it's got like a black second hand. Uh, so the hands are black, but I think that's okay for the hour and the minute hand because they're heavily loomed, so there's some contrast there. But it appears from the photos that the second hand is also black, except for a red. It's got a vintage style, uh, similar to the vintage Seiko style hands that have the red and then the white on them as well but that i think would be the only bit visible at nighttime have you seen this watch Mm -hmm. i just pulled it up yeah it looks uh it looks the business it's got the uh what we call in seiko land the stoplight hand stoplight second hand with the little red um but everything else blacked out it's very (laughs) it's very military it's very all business I like the look of them and that and that like mill style they have like the perfect they have like a picture of you know French military wearing it inside the helicopter with all his gear on and it's definitely uh it's definitely doing the business. Yeah, it looks the part, doesn't it? And what I'm respecting about the Yema brand is first of all TGV did a great video of it as well, but there was also the Take Time YouTube channel that did an even better review I'd say because he managed to get hold of one of the quartz ones and this is one of the things that I'm respecting about Yemma is that they've got the Superman version which is a mechanical watch but they've also are going to release the same watch it's got slightly different specs to be fair but it's half the price and it's a quartz and I'm thinking that if I was to buy one I mean if this was me last year I'd be like no I never would buy uh, spend that much on a quartz but now I'm thinking has no soul exactly but now I'm thinking, actually, it's quite a good proposition, the quartz model. It's about $500, but you're still getting that that Yemma history. It's got a similar mm. case shape. It, they're mm-hmm. offering 10% off. It comes with a Tropic strap, and it looks unique. And there's not often these days, and we're going to be talking for the main topic about Breitling, but there's not a lot of truly unique i mean maybe in the micro brand segment absolutely but a lot of there isn't a lot of new unique watches that i've noticed the last couple of weeks anyway but the yemma watch Mm -hmm. i really like the the bezel and everything yeah um it reminds me of what hamilton does um with with the khaki line so you can get the khaki in you can get the most of them in quartz and 
absolutely you know you bring that to uh you bring that round to a watch watch uh meetup and nope yep you're that's it's a hamilton khaki it's you know it gets the same sort of street cred as far as the brand goes um and great that you saved yourself uh you know two three hundred dollars over or actually probably maybe four or five over a mechanical uh not in khaki and not in uh hamilton's case i i think the quartz are decently inexpensive but but nonetheless, you're getting that same sort of, you're getting the brand, you're getting the quality, um, and you're getting the grab-and-go uh, utility of it. Totally agree with you. I feel like those watches are a good introduction to people that like watches but aren't you know, passionate watch collectors or maybe watch addicts like us where we're like, oh, it has to be mechanical, right. it has to be true to it. And I absolutely love my mechanical watches. I love my, my Black Bay 58. I love that turtle that we worked on but i think now as i'm sort of progressing as a watch collector i'm finding a newfound love for for quartz models and i'm and i like what yem is doing and to your excellent point as well hamilton we've got a couple of news stories for you and then we're going to dive into our main topic where we're going to be talking about breitling now we've not often talked about breitling on there but they did some interesting things this week they had their webcast where they released the new models so we're going to talk over those new models, how they release them, and also what we think of Breitling as a main brand. But let's kick this off with a couple of news stories first. And one that we'd not previously discussed, but we'd be remiss not to mention. Chris, what did you think of the new Seiko watches that are a nod to Apocalypse now, even though they're not directly talking about it. It's like a 6105, isn't it, reissue, but with a thinner case. They look stunning. Yeah, they look really good. We had a good uh, good conversation over at uh, the Facebook channel, Facebook group, Casual Watch Talk. Some good conversation over there about it. I think they look great. I'm a little disappointed in the movement they chose. I'm also thinking about the fact that, and I didn't mention this, but the fact that they sort of have done that same thing again where they released a limited edition version and then they have released a limited edition version of the same watch again. So so the people that bought it the first time. I believe, though, in this instance, it was a lot less expensive than the special edition that they released, uh, whereas last time it was a lot more expensive. So uh, six of one, half, half dozen the other. The only comment I made on it was the price. So for the price, I think that, you know, I think it was uh, 1100 1300 something like yes. that. For that price, if you really love it and you, and you want that and you want that connection, that, that movie connection, that, that style, that 70s dive watch military, you know, uh, connection, go for it. But it's, it's tough to justify on its specs alone that price. I actually agree with you. We've talked about this before, and this isn't by any means a, a dig at Seiko, but as we've just been talking about Hamilton, this I can't in my mind work out why the Seiko movements in these $1,000, $1,300 watches, these retail ones, they still mm -hmm. have crazy swathes of plus and minus, whereas you mentioned the Hamilton Khaki, which has an ETA 2824 in it for less than $500, which could easily be regulated to chronometer certification. And we've discussed mm -hmm. how much easier it is, or certainly in the limited experience that we've had of it. But 
when mm-hmm. you've been testing things, how how much easier it is to regulate an ETA movement. Maybe I'm just not fully understanding this, but you would expect for a thirteen hundred dollar watch that that it wouldn't be minus twenty plus fifteen. It seems like there's no Seiko don't offer any regulation whatsoever. Right. It's interesting because they are coming at this in a different, in a completely different angle than we than we sort of think that they should. So for Swiss watches, for inexpensive Swiss watches, they have those, you know, like, of course it's, you know, you can regulate it down to four seconds a day, check. Of course it's Sapphire, check. Of course it has a rear, you know, a, a display case, check. Um, of course the finishing is, is great. Not, you know, $1,000, you know, $600 Swiss watch, six to $1,000, you know, not, not, it's not going to be super styled, but. But it's going to be decent enough finishing, decent enough bracelet, uh, machine clasp, solid end links, these sort of things that are like, those are the, those are the, that's the direction that those Swiss watches are going. And Seiko just like, they're like, oh, that, well, movement clearly doesn't matter. So people are going to buy them because, because it's a Seiko and not necessarily the movement. Glass clearly doesn't matter. Some, some models have Sapphire, some models have hard legs. I know there's Seikos, you know, there's $800 Seikos with Hardlex uh, crystal out there that's not Sapphire. It's this kind of completely different take, and it, and it leaves me with just like a big question mark from a marketing standpoint to say like, okay, I, I guess I don't know what's important at the end of the day. And it's interesting because I think Seiko fans are fanatical, and they appreciate mechanical watches in the same way that they appreciate any any type of you know they any other brands you know other brands out there and so like to compare the two of what the brand itself is doing versus what an inexpensive swiss watch brand is doing like hamilton uh it's sort of fascinating that that they're kind of coming in that direction i would totally agree with you because you only have to see that and i don't know if you've seen it but there's a youtube video of how they make the most expensive G-Shock watches. And there's people fully gowned up. They're, they're hand-assembling these, and granted, they're quartz watches. But you can guarantee that that module, or I would take a guess that that module that they're putting in the G-Shock, even though it's a digital module, is probably more expensive than t- to produce than the mechanical movement that Seiko do. Mm-hmm. But you see them almost hand-assemble these G-Shock watches. And, and what are they? They're that price. They're like $1,300. Mm-hmm. And it seems it seems bizarre to me that a couple of things. First of all, I can't understand why Seiko. Maybe I can understand this. I can't understand why Seiko doesn't have an off-the-shelf spring drive movement that they can put in watches like this. They've already created what is arguably the greatest movement that you can put in a watch. It's mm-hmm. the best of both worlds. It's a mm-hmm. beauty of a mechanical movement with the near enough accuracy of a quartz movement without and the majority of the watch is mechanical i mean it's it's automatic it doesn't have a battery in it it's Mm -hmm. using a tiny electrical pulse to regulate the watch but it's not like a kinetic or something like that where there's a battery in it it's a it's the evolution of watch movements and i just can't understand why Mm -hmm. they don't dominate the market with that putting it in watches like this which and they are on purpose that stepping stone they're on purpose not not, or sort of say, choosing to not use that movement. They're choosing this direction because they're using it as a stepping stone. Their their Grand Seiko line has got that, you know, so that's their differentiator. 
And I feel like that's just the one thing. And it's, and it's sad because I don't believe that it's that expensive to make, you know, if, if Hamilton can put uh, a decorated ETA or, or not even a decorated, but like they can put their rotor ETA movement, Swiss movement, that thing pumps out two seconds a day. If they can do that in the five to $700 price range, there should be really no reason that a inexpensive spring drive couldn't be manufactured. And then, I mean, imagine, I mean, wake up to Seiko. If Seiko did that, if Seiko made a Seiko turtle that was $500, let's say 700 retail. So the same price point as like a Hamilton. They made a, they made a Seiko turtle with a spring drive movement in it just just we're done here i will decide that will be on my wrist tomorrow like that's we're all packing up we're done and they will check all those boxes that were sitting here going hmm i wonder why they did that hmm i wonder why they did that. i mean like like at that point and and also because they've propped up the spring drive movement for their grand seiko stuff they immediately show a huge value to their entry level watches like oh you want you want basically spring drive accuracy not the super decorated one but okay i'm sure they can get it down to two seconds a month absolutely it's similar to if you went and bought i suppose an analogy for seiko might be toyota for example if you went in you said oh can i have the new 2020 toyota camry and they're like absolutely sir what engine is it what what engine is in that well it's the same Mm -hmm. engine that was in the model in 1995 and you'd be like well hang on a second like well, how how is that better than what I'm getting? Oh well, you know it's nostalgic, and I mean people really respect that movement, and you know really respect that engine, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's a workhorse. That's a workhorse. You know that that old that old thing. And I and I you know yes, I agree to those, but at about forty dollars, yes, I, I I'm not going to you know the time for me to take that out of the back of a watch, and I mean I've done it i've replaced just to have fun and get the experience of it i've taken the balance spring off and replaced the balance spring and 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 you know retimed the watch etc etc but i mean we're talking hours of time and even if i was a watchmaker that's still that's still hundreds of dollars of someone's time to do that for a movement that's 40 dollars. you just buy one for 40 dollars. so maybe we're on to something here i mean we were joking on the facebook group that we might have killed basil world but uh, <laughs> maybe we can get seiko to put a spring drive movement in a t- in a turtle case exactly and your and your uh and your analogy to toyota is interesting because uh toyota makes uh the vvtli engines that uh that they were putting in the u.s uh lotus so if you buy a lotus elise back in the day that had a VVTLI 190 horsepower Toyota motor in it and you were like this is amazing cuz everybody can work on it it's got parts everywhere it's, you know super super affordable that sort of thing but but good enough to be put in a uh luxury sports car maybe not luxury but like high end sports car um you know and there it is so if they were to make the Seiko Spring Drive Toyota VVTLI that makes you know plus or minus a few seconds and start putting that in everything. Yeah, that would be that would be huge. Anyway, let's yeah, um, move yeah. on. So we've thank you to everyone that joined the Facebook group the last two weeks. It's really exploded. Uh, it's 
I think it's going better than even what Chris and I imagined it would be. There's some fantastic conversation going on there. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, get on, get get into the get into the conversation. Get on over there. Absolutely. So. Chris and I have been joking about whether to do this story or not, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, and then we'll tell you about why we've been joking about it, but we'd be remiss if we didn't mention, we talked about, obviously, most of the major brands pulling out of Baselworld already, and then there's been a story on WatchPro that now Tag, Hublo, and Zenith have run out. I sniggered at this headline because I'm like, oh, they didn't want to put the uh, the company that's mainly known for handbags and booze has pulled out. They they, have, they they just break out the watch parts of it. They're not like, oh, expensive handbags and booze uh, company has pulled out of. And I know I'm just joking about that. But with the reason that Chris and I were laughing about, well, you you tell the story, Chris, of why talking about Basil World has been amusing. Yeah, it's a, it's a little it's a little bit of uh, so for us talking about it. It's we're going to talk about it like it's a little uh, Basil World Inception. So the so the take everyone's take on on YouTube has been like who will talk about uh, Basil World next on YouTube. And so now we're going to talk about the people talking about who will talk about Basil World leaving. <laughs> so this like, it's like, we have to report on this, but we don't have to report on this, but we can report on the ridiculousness of it. But I think at the, at the end of all of that, this is, this is the big watch show. Just, you know, uh, Sam mentioned, uh, you know, the Geneva Motor Show for cars. This is the big watch show. It's been around for a while. Um, I believe... Some of those brands had permanent booths. So, I mean, that, that, I, I forgot about that. And I thought about that the other day. Like, they had permanent residence in that display place, in that show place. Um, so, yeah. So, big news for them, for them leaving and LVMH uh, leaving Baselworld. Um, yeah, it's over. And uh, certainly we'll, we'll comment on it. And it's worth the reason that a lot of people, especially YouTubers, are talking about it is it was a significant show even if we couldn't attend and you could argue that it really wasn't for youtubers to attend it was more for sales getting done and federico talks about this actually perfectly but it's where the new watches came out and also there was that friendly one-upmanship where h moser would come out with a almost like a troll watch wouldn't they or at least a concept version (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that's why people talk about it and it is worth talking about it because it's a significant thing to happen and it's led to Maybe, uh, certainly with the coronavirus, you could argue that an industry that was dragging its feet in terms of social media, in terms of online content, in terms of, you know, still doing print advertising, it's forced that industry, you could argue, to accelerate 10 years into their future, which is still, you know, early 2000s (laughs) in terms of like social media. Yeah, yeah. And two comments to that realize that this, you know, the, the news. Just, you know, the YouTubers and the, and the blogs and the folks that report about watches, you know, they're, th- that has already, always been around new releases. And so then they're going to, you know, super inside baseball. But, you know, like the reason why we're talking about it is because the, the, uh, the folks that review these watches are talking about it because they can't, they, they're not going to see the new release or they're going to have to go find out where, where that is from that company. So, you know, yeah, stuff's going to change. It's, it is very interesting to see what they will step up to do. There are going to be companies that are going to embrace this and realize that the old way of the watchkeeper with the glass case and the luxury watch behind the glass case 
that uh, that those days are are maybe over or or past, and we have to move into a world where um, we have to offer an, a good online presence where we're showing super awesome pictures of the watches. We're having you know getting people excited with social media and and digging into those channels because um, I think that's where we're we're at. I mean, I think you know where Sam and I are at, and we're you know this that's where we get. I mean, I'm. I'm on Instagram all the time. I'm looking at the new stuff. When Sam mentions a new watch, I've probably seen it on Instagram first. I'm I'm not necessarily going to go and dig out the new Basil releases, da da da, da and then look through the whole entire page for what I'm looking at. No, I'm going to see what my friends are wearing or what my friends are interested in. And then the final story before we stop for a quick break here. There's a couple of watch companies that have stepped up with special releases for to, to honor the medical workers now i think there's two companies that have done this right and then one that i'm sure they've got good intentions but to me it just there's something about it that doesn't sit right and uh, i'll caveat by saying this is my own opinion but i'm going to start with the ones that i think have done it right for example last week we talked about christopher ward who's going to donate 10 watches to NHS heroes and the NHS for anyone outside the UK is the is the National Health Service in in the UK. And this week Oris announced that they would also donate 10 watches to doctors, nurses, but also care workers, teachers, people that have really gone above and beyond and you had to then submit an email to them to denote this, but they got such an overwhelming response that they're now doing 10 watches a day for five days wow that's great so they've really stepped up and then i was researching this for this story and i don't know if you've seen this chris but i want to love braemont watches i'll put that out there i want to love them i I think their designs Mm -hmm. are good but there's just something in the back of my mind that a i personally think that a lot of their models are are overpriced for what they are, my own opinion. They had all of that a few years ago where they said they were in-house movements, but they weren't. They were modifying ETA movements. And they have mm-hmm. also offered... To, well, they've offered two things, and I'll get your opinion on this uh, with respect that I don't think you've probably seen the story, but they are also trying to raise money for the NHS, but they're selling a, a like a wristband um, with a metal plate on it with Brayman on it, but they're wanting like the best part of I think with the currency conversion would be about fifty dollars for essentially like a piece of paracord. And I think I commend them that the money's going to the NHS, but that also seems like that's very in keeping with their overpriced thing. They could easily just ask it. What that made me do is actually search out ways that I could just directly donate to the NHS after seeing this because I'm like, yeah. I think it. I think it hits, or it speaks to sort of their their past marketing misses. Yeah, and you have you have the you know you have the same marketing group that you know kind of kind of just kind of just misses it. I've heard stories and I've seen stuff from them where you know yeah they've got the they've got the military stuff, but they're but they don't but, but they're not doing the best you know the best job of it, and they they sort of not. I don't want to use the word exploit again. This is my own opinion, but you know that that they are really leaning into that uh, with with some of the you know with with a lot of the marketing that they do, and could you know kind of gives you that kind of weird feeling. And I think this is no different. That sort of weird, like uh, you know, instead of 
buying something from you that then you donate money to like like i'll give you some marketing advice if you as a company need a headline that says hey we did a great thing you're 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 doing the wrong like that's wrong if you if you're going to donate money just donate money and then somewhere on your your page it says you know hey we we're helping out and we and we donated some money and that's it there doesn't need to be a press release where it's like hey everybody we're great I'll offer this alternative to that, which is a brand and another British brand, which I think has done excellently is Farah. They've on brand, all of their marketing has these beautiful Land Rover defenders that they've, Mm -hmm. they've restored and they look Mm -hmm. stunning. I mean, I love the, the Land Rover defender. They auctioned one of their own Land Rover defenders off and gave the money to an NHS charity. Great. It's on brand because they're all about Land Rover. Mm-hmm. They're all about British engineering. They did offer to, you know, they're not, they didn't make a product to then sell like Braymont did. They've just said, look, this is one of our beloved Land Rovers. This, we have this. And people yeah, really yeah. got behind that. And that warms me more to that brand than I would say Braymont. It won't. I understand where you have a charity that needs exposure. Um, such as uh, breast cancer awareness, where okay, we're gonna make a pink strap yeah. and we're gonna, you know, and we're gonna donate the proceeds to that, and and we need to bring awareness to it. No marketing company needs to tell me about uh, COVID nineteen. Like that is the right now. That is everywhere all the time. Like that is the top story on every single news channel. So you're not bringing awareness to it. But they, you just you're just being a corporate partner. You're trying to help out. Okay, before we dive into our main story, let's just stop for a quick ad break. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Casual Watch Talk. Our main story today, thought we would talk about Breitling. Now, Breitling isn't a brand that I don't often talk about them on the YouTube channel, let alone we hardly mention them, I think, on this channel. But we've they've done some interesting things this week. And we want to talk about them. So we're going to split this second part up into three main sections. What they did this week in terms of how they presented their new collection. We're going to talk about the brand as a whole and some of the new watches because they are different. And then we're going to talk about the notion of in-house movements because some of these Breitling watches that they've released are very expensive, but they, they use ETA movements. So I'll start, I'll start by talking about what they did this week. If, if nobody's familiar, they're probably the first major watch brand that did a web conference or a webcast to release their new models. Now, they've had a new CEO, haven't they, Chris? Like, do, do you want to just talk about, about the new CEO and see whether that's the reason why they had a change of marketing? Yeah, possible. That's, that's what a lot of people are, are saying. So, uh, uh, Georges Kern. If I'm saying his name right, not George's, but uh, French, Georges uh, Kern. Uh, he was the CEO for IWC, and a couple of years ago moved over to Breitling. And a lot of people are saying he is the catalyst for a lot of these changes for the better uh, for for the Breitling brand and and their image. I remember a couple of years ago, Breitling was, it, the, the big story was is that they were one of the last independent watchmakers that 
wasn't part of a big conglomerate. And do you remember even there was a story about would Invicta buy them around the time that Invicta bought Glycine? I know there's a lot of kind of mm. rumbles about that, whether they actually really put a bid in or whether that was just rumor. Yeah. I remember that going around, but I yeah, that's interesting. So let's talk about... So they did this webcast, which, as we just joked about before, this segment is very progressive for a watch company. Right. And by all accounts, I've not watched the full thing yet, but by all accounts, they did a really good job of it, actually. So they instead of Basel World, they then did this, um, this webcast. And it's also interesting to point out that Basel World is... Yes, it's for the new releases, but the people that go to Basel World are the people that report on it and the people that are primarily going to buy retailers that are going to buy stock in these pieces in these watches and look at the new novelties that they're going to then bring into their store and the number of pieces are negotiated and and deals and dealers and that sort of thing they're right there where they're speaking to an audience of folks that could purchase these watches right there that's a big change and good for them. I totally agree with you. And it did make me think differently about this brand. Let's just talk about some of the new releases because I think they they range from the genius to, I would say, the bizarre, certainly for my taste anyway. So what we mainly saw, and what I'll say before this actually is, this isn't this new CEO took over and then these are the new watches. I mean, Breitling have been what would you say, Chris, every two months have released a new watch? Yeah, pretty pretty steady. I've definitely seen new stuff for them all the time. Uh, and these are refresh, you know, refreshing of existing lines. They're adding different mm-hmm. colorways and things and like new that. new stuff. The main things that we saw in this webcast was additions to the Super Ocean standard line. And I'm going to, I'll kick off with that one first. We saw the Heritage 57, the Breitling super ocean heritage dive watches this to me is the one that for my eye i'm not a fan of what i'll do chris and i'm going to start with one of my favorites although again i've never i've never pulled the trigger on one although i've certainly flirted with the idea was the the new super ocean range so we saw Mm -hmm. new models one that i was particularly very happy about which that was a blue model was made in a 42 millimeter but what do you think about these ones that they've made in titanium that are, f- that are at 46? So, yeah, I mean, so they're offering, they're kind of expanding, they're expanding it for everyone. I mean, they've got them now, the new one in 48, that Super Ocean Titanium in 48. That's a, that's a big boy. <laughs> I, I think they're listening to, I think they're listening to the consumer. And, and I'll just say, I was bummed that I couldn't, I definitely had an obsession maybe last year with the, with the new Super Ocean. Um, they completely cleaned up the dial. So it used to be, a, there was a dictionary worth of information yep. on that dial. And so now it's just 12, 9, and 6 a, a, a day, uh, excuse me, the date, and Breitling logo, Super Ocean, chrono, you know, chronometer, spec etc that's it and i'm super excited that they've come out with the blue one in 42 because they only had the black one in 42 and that is that's a sweet spot for me um so i don't know about folks that are looking for a 48 but i i would have to say that their marketing company uh, that 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 they're that they think that that's going to sell so that's 
that's good that they're giving these, you know, these different options. It's 48 seems like a large size and it absolutely will be large, but it's not out of keeping for them because they have the the professional one that has the the beacon in it, the emergency beacon, but they've also those Breitling for Bentley watches were massive. I've reviewed some on the channel. I'll leave a link in the show notes to that review, but Bob's happened to have one of those larger ones in titanium. Uh, we were talking about Invicta earlier, and you mentioned maybe potentially for them putting a bid in. Uh, I just watched something super interesting channel on YouTube, What's on the Wrist, talking about Invicta. And is it time to accept them, et cetera? It's re- really good uh, video. I'll, uh, we'll have to put a link in the, in the notes here. But uh, one of the points was, they are selling they, like they are selling those big watches. Like there are people out there that just they love the that that trend that that you and I have seen in sort of the watches that we look at that trend downwards to the back to sort of the thirty eights, forties, those sizes. Not for Invicta. I mean, they're they are pumping out fifty, sixty, seventy millimeter watches that that they are that people are buying in the thousands. So I wonder if uh, maybe they they. They took a peek over there to see what was going on and said, well, you know, if that's if people give them give them what they want. And so maybe that's uh, why some of those larger sizes have come out new. It'll be very interesting to see when they if they show up, large numbers of them show up gray market on Joma Shop. Joma Shop seems to have the 2020 releases already, as we as we just. Yeah, we did. And I was quite happy to see that. But um, yeah, I mean, I know I've done a couple of videos on Invicta and I still to this may day maintain that the Invicta Pro Driver is probably one of the best mechanical watches that you can get for less than $80. But I've also certainly called some of their watches a crime to horology, which I think they absolutely are. But one thing you can't fault them for, which is I think the point that you were you were trying to make, if I can just piggyback on that, is they know their audience. Mm-hmm. So for us to sit back and say, Oh, you know, this is this is huge, and I wouldn't wear this. Well, yes, fine, but but somebody is wearing it because for for them to make these decisions to bring these out, I don't want to be the first one to say, "Oh, that's a mistake," or you know, "Well, we're, that's not the trend." The trend is whatever's getting sold. Is that's the trend? <laughs> Other things we saw from Breitling. So we saw a, a, an addition to the Super Ocean. We also saw additions to the Chrono Mat. Now. I don't know about you, Chris. I've never been a fan of this, and I think it's the bezel. I don't like this silver textured bezel. Sometimes you see them, then they're like a compass. I've never been a fan of it. Having said that, I'm not a huge fan of steel bezels anyway, but what do you think about the what they did with the, the Chronomat line? Yeah, I mean, it, steel bezel, It's um, it has that... 1984 vibe like it that's when it was introduced it still it still says that um you know and just i think just like maybe we're nostalgic for watches from the 90s which is at least for me i'm sure there's folks that are nostalgic for watches in the 80s and uh, yeah that the steel bezel kind of not my style and uh uh the uh the bullet bracelet one thing that as well, we've talked about the larger watches that they've released, but I've also, maybe I've maybe I've never associated Breitling with this before, and I'm not sure why, but there seems to be smaller watches that obviously might be 
I think would certainly be marketed at a female audience. So you've got 35 Mm -hmm. millimeter Navitimers now, not the not the Navitimer with the chronometer, and they've got one with like a pearlescent dial with diamonds on it. I don't remember them having more female-focused designs in the past. Yeah, I think that's that's something they've added maybe in the past uh, couple of years. I mean, what's one of the watches that uh, stood out to me? We were talking about the the Super Ocean. They make a uh, sort of a light blue color Super Ocean Thirty Six. That's a cool looking, uh, you know, uh, women's watch. Something that 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 they might be, you know, that you, you get some interest out of. Uh, yeah, it seems to be a new trend for them, and certainly with lots of watches, I think I think leaving women out of that conversation is wrong. I think that I think that they want to wear a cool dive watch, and <laughs> done that with some of their marketing. I see the female uh you know diving surfing as part of their as part of their brand i think that's good i think that's really good yeah i once worked with a i was part of a sales team and i remember one of my colleagues she had the rolex kermit version on and it looked awesome she she dressed it up with additional jewelry but i always remember joking with her that she couldn't she took all the possible links out because her wrist was obviously smaller i mean she looked awesome wearing it but that was a one complaint was that you couldn't reduce the submariner bracelet enough for it to to fit properly if you had a you know six inch wrist and like and like the clasp the clasp alone on that thing has got to be you know what 40 40 millimeters you know so it's just you're like down to nothing there and then finally we'll talk about the range that i think I'm guessing will divide opinions the most. It certainly divides my opinion the most was the new Breitling Rado. I mean, the new Breitling Heritage (laughs) 57. Yeah. What do you think of these? They're definitely inspired by, what would you say, a bit of 50 Fathoms in there, a bit of the the Captain Cook? Yep, 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 for sure, that that rainbow. Now, I will say with the rainbow dial, this is the Super Ocean Heritage 57. It's It's a limited edition. So I will say... It's limited, so they're they're having some fun there with that, which is which is fine, which I think is fine. If they were to bring that, you know, if that was to be a a you know a primary model, also limited edition. So this is the Super Ocean Heritage. This is a chronometer spec. All of the Breitlings are chronometer specs. So that's plus or minus two a month or two a day. It's two a day. Sorry, five thousand dollars on their website. That's great for 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 manufacturer suggested retail price of five grand. I, I don't think that's too bad for a dress diver from Breitling. Yeah. With maybe what is going on. I mean, you were kind of talking about earlier, we were going to get into movements and such, but limited edition Breitling, I, I think that's priced well. I suppose this is one of the questions that you certainly get sort of here targeted at, at Breitling is that they still do use ETA movements and they certainly are priced a lot more higher than an equivalent ETA watch, say, from you know, another brand, Hamilton, or, or other brands that you could maybe argue had very similar build quality. So are you really buying the brand here? Breitling does have the history, but w- what do you think on that, that, that they're still using ETA movements, even though they do call them Breitling movements? Well, we could, we could probably break out a, a, a discussion on its own. I... I think the in-house movement stuff is just a little too overblown. I think that 
it was a trend that everybody wanted to say, okay, we've got in-house movements, but also I think it was just a trend based on companies positioning themselves so that they had ownership of the entire supply chain. So if you say to a CEO, hey, are you going to buy a company that are you know are you gonna are you gonna work with a company that owns their entire supply chain? So so we're talking brass and stainless steel coming in the back door and front door we've got you know Swiss watches. That is an enticing proposition as a major company as a as a corporation. And I'm sure the marketing department was listening and they're like, oh well you know in house in house in house. And I and I feel like it's a little overblown because <laughs> we're not investing into these companies. We're not you know. We're enjoying the products that they're making and we're, we're using the fact that they're making their movements or they're, they're having another company make their movements as maybe as a buying decision. But if you had a situation where they could make them, that they were making them radically better, like if they were doing something that was radically better uh, for the end product, maybe that's a marketing decision for for us maybe that's a a price uh value decision proposition for us where we say okay well you know oh those brightlings you know they they're so much better they're so much more accurate uh they last longer uh they they're super serviceable this sort of thing if they were if they're adding something there then then i get it but i don't believe that's true i think it's just a a checkbox to say hey we own we control our supply chain we should definitely, you've just given me a thought, we should definitely do maybe a special version of the podcast where we focus on in-house movements because this only occurred, I only just thought of this now and I don't know whether it's, it's not based on anything, but do you think in-house movement truly means that the manufacturer themselves are creating the movement themselves? Or I wonder if it means, hey, we own this as a blueprint as a technical spec but there's still a third party making it i'm sure that's i'm sure we'll we'll do some search on this and i'm sure it's down to marketing i my guess my guess would be marketing because if i can pay so um i'm trader joe's and i have trader joe's uh peanut butter pretzels trader joe's is not does not own the manufacturing company that makes peanut butter pretzels. This that company makes peanut butter pretzels for everybody. But when it when you are going into Trader Joe's that store, you're saying like, "Oh, these are the Trader Joe's peanut butter pretzels." So in this case, I feel like it's sort of the same way. This is the Brightling, you know, Brightling movement. I don't know what their movement uh, calibers like are called. Seventeen Brightling or, uh, Seventeen is the twenty eight. Right. 24. Yeah. So the right the Brightling Seventeen. So like this is the Brightling Seventeen. But at the end of the day, that that machine was that's just a spec, like you said. That's a technical drawing, and it's and it's machined on a, on the same machine that's going to be pumping out ETAs and 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 other watch manufacturers in house movement. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely should do some. Uh, that, I think that would be make for a really interesting podcast. It would actually make for a really interesting uh, YouTube video. So, yeah, yeah, do some research on that. We're really interested to know what you think about the stories that we've covered, also the Brightling Watches. Thank you for everyone that's joined the Facebook group. If you've not yet joined the Facebook group, search for Casual Watch Talk, apply for a membership, and then Chris or I will approve you on there. We've got some great conversations. Some of the other admins that are on there as well are adding a lot of value. So 
thank you all for listening. Chris, thanks for being my co-host again. No problem, Sam. As always, we appreciate you listening, and we'll see you next time on Casual Watch Talk. Thanks, guys. Bye.